<laughs> What's with this weather? Do you like it? Oh. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here. And, and uh, for those of you that are joining us uh, online, uh, we're glad you're there. And grab your coffee and sit down, get your Bible handy. Uh, because this weekend and next weekend, I'm talking about your favorite topic. It's something you think about all the time, talking about money. And uh, it's great when pastors talk about money in church, isn't it? Isn't it great? Isn't it great? Yeah, uh, the last time I preached on this topic was 18 months ago, so it's time to talk uh, about money. I bring it up a lot less than Jesus did uh, Jesus was, was really clear that the way, uh, the way people steward money defines everything else about them, uh, and that that stewardship could make or break a person. And so he, he gave a lot of instruction. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell um, combined. Uh, so here at Cornerstone, we don't hesitate to offer balanced uh, biblical coaching uh, on this topic. Uh, and we never apologize, and we don't walk on eggshells when we talk about stewardship. And in always, uh, as always, I'm asking you to trust my motivation uh, for talking about money. I don't work on commission, uh, and so what I'm trying to do is uh, get us all moving forward in the same direction. Uh, if you know me, you know my motivation on this topic, uh, but if you're new since the fall of 2016, which is the last time I preached on this topic, here is my motivation. I broke it down into kind of four categories of why I talk to Cornerstone about money. And the number one reason is you. Uh, the reason I talk about money is I want to improve your emotional, spiritual health, uh, especially in regards to the stewardship of money and property and possessions. Um, I want you to develop a very healthy relationship with the blessing that God has uh, poured out upon you to recognize where that blessing comes from and what God expects you to do in managing uh, this, thi this thing. Uh, because I, uh, I want you to become more generous. The, the, the happiest people on the planet are the most generous people. And the saddest people on the planet are the ones who hoard, and they do it fearfully. Uh, they don't have enough yet, and they're not, they're not gonna share. And, uh, but when we open up our hands and we manage with an open hand, it shows some things about how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about life, how we feel about others, and it makes us feel great um, because we see natural re these, these resources that God has given us as the natural way that he fuels uh, our journey, and then we also are able to help others fuel theirs. So we don't preach about money in such a way around here that makes people feel guilty about how much God has blessed them and I know you if, you, if God has blessed you with extra, I'm sure that you have worked very hard not only to obtain it, but to keep it. And, uh, but I do hope you regularly remind yourself that you're a follower of Christ, and followers of Christ see themselves as stewards uh, much more than um, owners. And so that's my second motivation in regards to this topic, that we would understand our role as stewards. What's a steward? Is that a word you use very often? What's a steward? 
It's a manager. It's, it's someone who takes care of someone else's stuff. Now, the steward is very close to the, the owner, so they, they, they benefit also from uh, all of the benefits. Uh, but a mature, a mature believer in God recognizes that God is the owner of all things. And uh, if you are stewarding some of those things, that's a blessing. It means that he trusts you. And, uh, but he is expecting good management. He didn't bless you just so you could be blessed and you could drive around and show people how blessed you are. Uh, he had something much greater in mind, uh, that you would manage the resources he provided so that every, all of your needs are taken care of, but then you have budgeted extra to share. Uh, which brings up my third motivation for preaching about money and possessions. I, I would love to see you continue to increase in your generosity towards those who need some of what you have. And there are so many in this world, the rich have gotten richer, the poor have gotten poorer, and Christians share. It's one of the hallmarks of our religion is that, that, that we share. And there's nothing like a Christ follower who shares with, you know, with no strings attached. I mean, we don't loan people money. We give people money. We don't loan people food and resources. Uh, we, we take care of them. And we do it in intelligent ways, not, not in uh, like a knee-jerk way. Oh, there's someone with a cardboard sign. I'll give them five bucks. You know, that's fine. But you've got to have a better plan than that. And so a good church provides a better plan uh, for, for us to share with those locally and globally. And local sharing, that's our greatest testimony. There's nothing like a generous group of people to attract more people. Because uh, they'll say, well, I, you know, I don't go to church right now, but if I ever did, I would go to your church. Because I heard about what you did for so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, so our testimony is attached uh, to our generosity. And there's something else that's attached to our generosity, our eternal destiny. Uh, this can be ominous for the selfish, uh, but it, it's just a blessing for those that are generous because Jesus was clear. He said, uh, on that day, I will stand at the door. And uh, all the jokes are about St. Peter standing at the door, but Jesus says, I'll be at the door. And I'll see you come up, and it'll be the judgment day. It'll be the final thing. And I'll say, hey, there you are, my friend. Uh, I was hungry, and you fed me, and I was, I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was sick, and you comforted me and helped me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was a foreigner, and you welcomed me into your country. Uh, enter in to my country now. Enter in because uh, I, want, I have an inheritance for you inside here. And uh, I want everyone at Cornerstone to hear those words someday from Jesus Himself. So what we do now in regards to generosity is attached to our eternity. And then I have one more motivation. My fourth and final motivation for preaching about money is that I want every person in this congregation to embrace the mission of this church. And if you are embracing the mission of this church, that means that you are generous with your own church. You contribute financially to the church that has blessed you and your family. And that just makes sense. If you're getting benefit from this organization, you're not a taker. You're not someone who lets everyone else pay your bills. You say, hey, we need to pitch into this, this, this organization because it's, it's really an amazing uh, church that we've got here. And there are many worthy causes out there, uh, but for a Christian, their own church becomes their, their most generous and their first uh, donation because I want you to believe what I believe, that the local church is God's strategy 
for every zip code on the planet. So if we can be funding a local church in the neighborhood we live in, we're doing great things for that uh, particular neighborhood because a healthy local church can do things for a community that no other organization uh, can do. And you're part of a church like that, so your donations are what keep us moving forward. And uh, you know there are a few wealthy people that kick in considerable amounts of money around here. And then there's a lot of people who just give as much as they can. And that's actually the bread and butter of this organization. And when a lot of people um, are giving what God has laid upon their heart, then everything's fine and we move forward. So that's my motivation. That's why I'm teaching about money this weekend and next weekend. I want us all to thrive emotionally, spiritually, and financially. I want us to steward our possessions well. I want us to share with the poor, and I want us all to share with our church. All right, so is that okay? Those motivations are all right? You're good? You're gonna let me talk about this? You're not gonna sit there with your arms crossed, looking grumpy? And, okay, preacher, you know, talk me into giving you 20 bucks, you know? Good, grab your Bible, or your Bible app, and let's open to 1 Timothy chapter six. 1 Timothy chapter six. Verse six, Paul writes to Timothy. Now, I think you know that this is a letter from a mentor to his student, and Paul and Timothy had a great lifelong relationship. By now, Timothy is in midlife, Paul is older, uh, than him, and Timothy is pastoring the church that Paul founded in Ephesus, and it's a wealthy church in a port city, and, uh, and Paul is, is saying, okay, we've gotta talk to your congregation, because I remember some of those people, and I want them to, 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 to lean into godliness. And so here's what he says, verse six, godliness with contentment, that is a win, Paul says. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Yikes. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many, many griefs. So I was reading this week again about the European smallpox epidemic. I mean, what, what do you like to read about? I like to read about stuff like that. Uh, but in relation to this sermon, uh, it was 1796, and uh, the epidemic was, was ravaging Europe, especially among children. Uh, eight out of 10 children who contracted this disease died from it. So people were losing their families. And mothers were keeping their kids in and keeping the windows shuttered. And anyone who contracted these, these gross pox, these boils on their skin, uh, those people were quarantined. And, and if they survived, then they would be allowed to come out. But most of them uh, didn't survive, especially the uh, children. And that's when a, a med student named Edward Jenner had a crazy um, idea. And... Uh, because Jenner wanted to intentionally make people sick so that they wouldn't die later. And uh, he, he had learned that there were these English milkmaids across the UK that, that were somehow immune to smallpox. And so they tracked down what these English milkmaids 
had in common. And they're like, well, duh, it's got something to do with milk. And they realized that all of these, all of these women who were uh, immune to smallpox uh, had w- once in their life contracted this other uh, disease called cowpox. And cowpox is like a cousin of smallpox, but it's not fatal. It's still unpleasant. You still get those boils. You still get the flu-like symptoms, but everybody recovers from cowpox. What Jenner figured out is that if you had had cowpox, you were immune from smallpox. So here's what he decided to do. And it's something you wouldn't be able to do in the 21st century because Jenner convinced a mother to let him experiment on her eight-year-old son. And this little guy, I even got his name, James Phipps, May 14, 1796. Jenner took the pus, I mean, this is gross, from, no one should say pus in church. (laughs) Anyway, the effluent from from someone who had uh, cowpox, and he, he scratched it on this boy's arm, purposely giving him cowpox. And sure enough, uh, by two days later, a boil had risen, the boy was sick. But then he recovered, like everybody else does from cowpox. July 1st comes around, the boy's perfectly healthy again, and the second part of the experiment kicks in because Jenner now has someone who has smallpox, and he takes that material and scrapes it onto the boy and purposely infects him. Only here's what happened, exactly what Jenner thought would happen. The boy doesn't get sick. He is immune. An eight-year-old boy is immune from ever getting smallpox. Well, the news spread all across Europe, and doctors started um, doing this. And in the 19th century, the 20th century, even the 21st century, uh, scientists following Jenner's model are still uh, successfully battling some of the, the grossest diseases that have ever attacked Uh, humans. And his medical papers later, Jenner invented a word taken from the Latin word for cow. And the word is vaccine. Vaccine. A word that's very common to us. To vaccinate a person is to purposely make them a little sick so that they will be immune from a terrible fatal disease later. All right, so what is the relevance to today's message? Um, Well, I believe that messages like today and next weekend are vaccines. Uh, And there's a lot of vaccines in the Bible that will keep you from terrible illness, even fatal eternal illnesses. But they might be uncomfortable. You might not want to talk about money in church. Uh, You might not want, uh, it might feel a little, uh, and also actually the advice you're going to get from the Bible might even seem counterintuitive. Because the Bible is gonna tell you, share your money. And don't wait until you feel like you have enough, because that'll never happen. So share your money now, and that even that action makes you a healthier person, makes you a better human being, and it actually vaccinates you from money having too much power over you. It's as if you're saying to money, I trust that God will give me more, therefore I'm gonna take a percentage of this and give it to this person. I'm gonna take a percentage of this and contribute to my church or contribute to this charity because that's the kind of person I am. And choosing to be that person before you feel like you have enough is vaccinating yourself for later when you do have enough that that money will not consume you uh, like the Apostle Paul talks about here. Paul says 
We're going after godliness, and as we go after godliness, we're gonna discover contentment. So what's godliness? Godliness is when you imitate the creator, uh, and you live the life that he intended for Adam and Eve to live, for, for Abraham and Sarah to live, for Jacob to live, the life that he intended for David to live, the life that he intended for all of us to live. And uh, so that's godliness, and then what follows godliness is contentment. Because once we are pursuing God and, and, and we're not afraid of him anymore, we, we're, we're getting to know him so that we can Im imitate him, uh, we have this contentment that co comes over us. Um, the peace that surpasses human understanding. Uh, contentment is, is this peaceful um, satisfaction, this, this, this really cool uh, life that we can have instead of, or in comparison to, what Paul talks about, those who don't do this, those who, who pursue riches and ignore God in regard to, to riches, then they're susceptible to temptation and a snare. They could just be trapped uh, into many, many foolish and harmful desires that could plunge them into ruin and destruction and, uh, and, and they can wander from the faith and they can even, they end up piercing um, themselves with, with a, lot, um, a lot of grief. According to Paul, getting rich before you're ready for that could be the worst thing that would ever happen to you because it would stop you from depending upon God. And you know, those who have less, uh, they have a lot of challenges, but depending on God is not something they struggle with. But after someone gets a lot extra, depending on God be, can become a daily battle to remind themselves, hey, I still need God. And another thing is it can be a battle between the haves and the have-nots because the haves then can all of a sudden start to, to fear those who are poor. And so you build these big walls to keep people away from you so that they can't take your stuff. And absolutely um, wrecking relationships. Whenever money becomes a goal, instead of just fuel, then it, it, its purpose changes and the purpose is never good. So Paul offers uh, actually more than suggestions. He doesn't call them suggestions. He calls them commands. Look there in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. That's interesting, that's the first thing he says. Command the rich not to be arrogant. Apparently wealthy people might struggle a little bit with pride and arrogance. You know, I have more than you, therefore I'm better than you. And he says that's not a good uh, idea. Um, pride may have blinded you to the other factors that were in play, to the other people who helped you along the way, or might have just blinded you to the fact that you're not as smart as you think you are, you're lucky. You were in the right place at the right time. You made some good decisions. And then you were disciplined in how you carried those out. But at the end of the day, God really did most of the heavy lifting. But you have forgotten that because you've rewritten the narrative. And Paul says, arrogant people, that's not a good idea. He said to command them not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our um, enjoyment. Let's just keep reading. Command them to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So the Apostle Paul has offered some practical coaching for the rich among us. So if you're here today and you're rich, uh, lucky you, you came on the right uh, weekend. Um, who are you, by the way? Who are the rich that are here among us? Where are you? The, the rich, the wealthy that are here, here among us. Wow, not very many. All right, well, we'll have to get the word out to them. Uh, hey, rich people, don't become arrogant. Don't put too much money in faith or stuff. Instead, trust in the God who gave them money in the first place. Feel free to enjoy it, but share a lot of it too. Uh, and this is how you'll store up tr uh, treasure in heaven and you'll live a great life here on earth. Great advice for rich people. Unfortunately, no rich people came today. Uh, so I feel like I've, I've wasted your time. All right, so those of you that are not wealthy, uh, how many of you are not wealthy? You're not wealthy. All right, good, good. Uh, those of you that are not wealthy, I just have a question for you. How much more would you need to accumulate before you would be wealthy? Uh, what would that number uh, look like? Um, the rich, yeah, you're rich, where you would just say, yeah, I'm rich. Uh, I wonder, I, and I think that the, the thing about this word rich is we always think it's describing someone else. Recently I asked a friend of mine if, if she was rich and she just laughed at me and she said, are you kidding, Steve? She goes, I rent my house. She goes, I barely can make rent. She goes, rich people don't rent their houses. They own their houses. But then fortunately for my argument, her friend was right there and her friend interrupted her and said, oh, wait, 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 wait. So you're saying because I make a mortgage payment, I'm rich? I had to go to work. I had to get another. Now my husband and I both work. He works two jobs just because we're trying to keep the house that we own with the bank. 26 years from now, she said, I will own that little house. And, and then I said, well, then will you be rich? And she said, oh, no, no, are you kidding? Rich people own big, big houses. <laughs> so not too long ago, a Gallup poll uh, dug into people's definition of the word rich. Uh, and for each person surveyed, the uncanny response was that everybody felt like if they had double what they had today, then they might be uh, consider themselves rich. Even people who made 30,000 a year, their response was, well, 60,000, would, would, we would have enough extra. Uh, I don't know if I'd call myself rich at 60,000. I think they did this interview was in Ohio or something. Um, <laughs> I know, right? But then they interviewed people who made 60, and they're like, oh, no, no, we're barely, we're, are you kidding? No, about 100, 120, that would be the number. But then they interviewed people that made 100, what do you think they said? Just guess. Right, so then Money Magazine got a hold of this same idea, and they didn't do it about what they made every year, they did it on assets. And the average person who subscribes to Money Magazine has two and a half million dollars of stored assets. And so they, they, they surveyed the, the, the people who, so their subscribers, and they said, are you rich? And the response was, absolutely not. And then they said, well, what would you have to have to, uh, now, now the average person that subscribes to Money Magazine, what, how, many, how many assets do they have? 
Two and a half million. You bet you are listening. Guess what the, the, the most normal response was from their subscribers. How much money would you have to accumulate before you could even begin to consider yourself rich? Just guess. Five. Five million. Everybody's the same. All I have to have is double what I have today. And then, then, so apparently the definition of rich is more than I have. Rich is more than I have. Because it seems like no matter how much we have, it doesn't feel like it's enough. And don't you think if you were rich, you would feel like you were rich? Like, I, yeah, I feel, yeah, it would come with a feeling. Well, let me ask you a question. Could you be wealthy already, yet not feel like it? And that's dangerous because if a Christian doesn't feel like they have enough yet, they are going to fight God tooth and nail when God says, I want you to share more. I want you to give to those who have less. I want you to give to your church. And you say, well, I will when I have enough. Uh, but here's the deal. I think most rich people don't know that they're rich. And I think that's why they don't act like they're rich. I think a rich person is like an anorexic looking into the mirror. And everyone else sees something, but the rich person really does see something wrong. And until that something wrong is gonna be corrected, their feelings are not going to, to change. And this is why I'm preaching this and we'll continue to um, come back to this topic because I love you and I need to convince you. Uh, and if I don't succeed, then you're gonna continue to assume that these instructions are for someone else and not for you. So I'm just gonna lay it out there for you. Ready? You are already rich. You are already rich. And you can argue with your sta this statement all you want. But like my dad would say, argue all you want, but you're wrong. <laughs> and I'm gonna leave while you argue. Because I know I'm right. We are the people Paul is addressing here. We are who Jesus is watching to see if we yet understand how much we have been blessed already and if we will share based on those blessings and based on our trust that the God who provided yesterday will provide tomorrow. That it's okay for me to give away some of this now even though it feels counterintuitive. Because you know what you're doing there? You're vaccinating yourself from the negative effects that wealth can have on you. Now, why doesn't it feel like you're rich? Because everybody around you, or a lot of people around you, have so much more. Because rich is all about comparison. So if we're gonna do comparison, then let's lay out the comparative facts. Every one of us lives in the richest country in the richest time in human history. And then we live in the San Francisco Bay Area in that country. Two billion, on the, two billion people on the planet are still living on about $2 a day. Two billion people, two, and that's their household. And now that I've traveled the world and worked and gone to some of the poorest countries in the world and hung out and made friends there, I have friends and I can tell you their names and that's really their budget. They live on about $60 to $100 a month. And, uh, and if they could double that, they would say, well, uh, I, I would be rich. My, my friend in Guatemala, 
And I met him because I was meeting his daughter who Brenda and I had sponsored through Compassion International. And I was blessed to be able to go and I met, I met his daughter. But it didn't occur to me that somebody had to bring his daughter to the place where we met. So the father brought the daughter. And this guy was sharp. He was a great guy. And we just hit it off right away. And his English and my Spanish, we ended up having a great conversation. Uh, we don't know what the other one said, but it was great. A lot of smiling. But what I figured out and checked was that their little family really is living on $100 a month. So that's about $3 a day. And I was like, how do you do that? And he goes, well, it's really, it's very hard. He said, but I'm in night school, and as soon as the family is asleep at night, I'm, I'm doing my work, and I'm gonna go from being a day laborer to being an accountant. And once I'm an accountant, I can get a salary job. He goes, there's jobs, but you gotta get the education. And he says, once I've got that, I can go from earning uh, what I earn on a, on, a, on a day when I can get work. He says, I can go from that to where I just get up every day and go to work. And he says, you know, he says, I will make $70 a week. And then he looked at me like, so there's that. I'll be rich, he was saying. And so it was so cool because, I'll just finish the story because it's so gratifying to me because I just checked on how much his education would cost and I just paid it forward. And so then he found out that someone had paid his tuition, someone had given money for his books. All he had to do was put in the time, this hardworking Guatemalan man, all he had to do was put in the time and then he could support his own family and his daughter wouldn't need Compassion International in a year or two. And, he, and they, we could move on and help some other um, poor. That's a beautiful thing about leaning into, I, well, I, it, didn't, it wasn't even that much money, so don't clap very much. But it was so satisfying to know that I'm not just giving this guy a handout, I'm giving him a leg up. And that's the beauty of being an American and it's the beauty of being an American Christian uh, here in the Western Hemisphere, especially as we look south of the border. Um, these are not people that we should fear. These are people we should be helping. They're our neighbors. Okay, so 2 billion of people on the planet, $2 a day, 50% of the households on planet Earth. That's, that's 3.5 billion people. Their household is bringing in less than $10,000 a year. Okay? That, now, we'll just, I'll throw one more out, and then statistics start, we start to fog. If your household made more than $37,000 last year. And I am gonna ask for a show of hands. Think of everyone in your household who brought in income. And pre-tax, you brought in more than $37,000 last year. Raise your hand. All right. You with your hands raised are in the top 4% of the world in income. But you still don't feel rich. And the reason is obvious. It's because of where you live. You are rich because of where you live, but you don't feel rich because of where you live. Uh, you live in the San Francisco East Bay, and it takes a truckload of money to pay the bills around here. And uh, most of us um, feel the pinch, and we definitely don't feel rich, and we don't need the pastor making us feel guilty. And you know what? I hope I haven't made you feel guilty. I want you to be aware Guilt is a terrible motivator. I just want us to be aware that 
that you are rich, you don't feel like you're rich, and that's, that's normal. So therefore, if you don't feel like you're rich, you're gonna hesitate when it comes time to share very much of that. And that hesitation is what's keeping you from trusting God. And if you don't trust God, you're not gonna lean into following him because you don't wanna hear what he has to say about money because you're afraid that he's gonna ask you to do more than you think you can do. Okay, does that sound like a good father? You think God's gonna bless you the way he has and then turn around and go, okay, give me it back, give me it back, give me it. No, he's gonna say, I blessed you, now I want you to bless someone else. Okay, now you're imitating me, here's some more. I'm gonna replace that. Let me ask you, those of us that are raising children, no, better yet, those of you that are grandparents, if you found out that your grandchild had been incredibly generous with the money you gave them for them to get something for themselves, and you gave them money, and you found out that they turned and they wanted to give it to a poor child in another country. They wanted to give it to somebody else. What would you do as a grandparent? You would just give them more money. Well, God is a much better grandparent than I am. And so if he sees that behavior in you, he's not only gonna reward that behavior, he's also gonna make sure that he t continues to take care of you because you have a great heart and he sees that heart. So you can believe in him and you can trust him when it comes to, to, to sharing. I believe the main reason that we're not more generous is not because we don't want to be, it's because we truly believe we can't be. We believe we don't have it to give away. Um, we hope that someday we'll be able to, but the problem is someday never comes. If we're waiting for a feeling of being wealthy, that is probably not ever going to come. It's kind of like when you're in trucking and you're walking down that main street and there's that bar and outside the bar it says, free beer tomorrow. <laughs> and you're like, I like beer, I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> and you're, they're just looking at you like, you know, it's a joke. But every day you come back and you go, oh, it's tomorrow. <laughs> Listen, if you don't feel like you have enough to share, don't feel guilty about that. Just tell God that that's how you feel. And he'll either go, oh, okay, and provide you more, or he'll show you how you can live on less so that you can share and so that you can get close uh, to him. All right, so I was reading an article the other day, uh, SF Gate, do you guys read SF Gate? And the article was that the average Bay Area person donates two to 3% of their income after taxes to charity, two to 3%. I don't know how that hits you, if that's a high number to you, a low number. Uh, just figure out what your annual income is and, and ask yourself, well, where am I in relationship to that? Let's say I make, our family makes 100,000 a year, that would be two to 3,000 a year that we give to our church and to charities and you know, when, when, when uh, someone wants us to donate to something. Uh, to me, personally, because I grew up in and around church, that number doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I get it. I get why Bay Area people don't feel like they have more than about 2 or 3% of their income to share, um, especially those that are on that lower earning uh, scale. You know, They're like, yeah, that's a lot of money. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot for us because we're living with absolutely no margin. But what about the folks that are higher up on that ladder 
Um, surely those people give more than two to 3% of their income after they have it. I mean, what's weird is you think that the wealthy people in the Bay Area would become more and more generous the more money they accumulate, but that's not true. This article said that wealthy people in the Bay Area donate about two to 3% of their income to charity. Everybody is at about two to 3%. No matter what the number, the amount they give away is about two to 3%. So if you're telling yourself that after you have more, you will give away more percentage-wise, you're lying to yourself. What you give away now percentage-wise is what you will give away later after you have extra, even if you have a lot extra. Uh, there's a friend of mine that was in service last night, and he's the only billionaire that's actually a friend of mine I mean, he's the only friend of mine that's actually a billionaire. There it is. Probably both of those. And uh, he's a great guy. And I won't tell you who he is, but he's a great Christian man. He and his wife are, are and, and, and they are truly um, billionaires. Um, and I, it's so weird because they're my friend, but after I was with him, I went and looked it up and Googled it again. Like, why did I do that? But anyway, I did. And sure enough, wow, the guy makes a lot of money. But... Um, we were hanging out afterwards. He goes, yeah, he says, I knew that statistic was true. And he said, years ago, my wife and I decided that we were gonna start giving away. And our only rule about what we gave away is that next year we'll give away more. And he said, we're up to now 50% of our income uh, pre-tax we give away. And he says, so, you know, depending on the taxes that year, it could be even more than 50%. It is more than 50%. And he said, we wanna give to the point of my mentor, who's now 88 years old, he said, who gives away 80%, of his income because he's rich and he, can, he literally can live on the 20%. And my natural response, instead of going, wow, you're awesome, was in my mind to think, well, of course you could give away 50% of your income. That leaves you still with millions and millions of dollars. But that's how crazy we are because we always do that. We make it about them instead of about us. I will tell you this, the closer you get to God, the more you will want to give away. And those that are, those people will, everybody in this room that's very close to God has been walking with God with year, for years will agree with what I just said. Because the nature of God is generous. So the closer you get to him, he just uh, rubs off on you. All right, so let's, let's, let's make it personal and then let's wrap it up. Uh, I would like to ask you to think about yourself. How about you? What percentage of your income do you um, give away? And you may not be fully in touch with that. I would encourage you to get in touch with that because I think it would be good for you to see if, if I'm at the two to 3% level like everybody else in the Bay Area, Christian or non-Christian, or am I at a lower level or a higher level? Now, it's nobody's business but God's and yours, but it, it is your business to know these kind of things because you are a steward of what God gave you. So then the next question I would be is, would you be willing to ask God if that is the right percentage for you? Would you be willing to ask God, hey God, I make this amount. What percentage do you think I should start to give to my church? What should I start to give to the poor? What should I start to give to other worthy causes? What do you think that, that number is? Now some of us are afraid to ask God that question and that means we're afraid of, of God. And so that's the problem. And so then we have to come back to God and say, God, I'm not ready to ask you this question yet because I'm afraid of your answer. Draw me closer to you so I will stop fearing you. 
and that I will start trusting you as a good, good father. Now, we got to the end of that Timothy passage, and what did Paul say? He said that people who give are storing up treasure in heaven. Like, heaven is watching us to see uh, how we manage money here on earth, and our eternal reward is somehow attached to that. And Jesus said the very same thing. Jesus made it clear that our generosity here on earth is noted in heaven and credited into eternal accounts. So if God has provided for you, don't be surprised that he expects you to provide for others. Um, all right, so good. We're gonna pick it up right there next weekend, and we're gonna talk for one more weekend about this, and then we're going into a summer series out of Esther, Nehemiah, and Ezra on leadership, which is gonna be a powerful series. But I wanted, I wanted to talk in a two-part uh, on this. I've got some more things to share with you out of Scripture about this. And before you go, you may have noticed that we didn't pass the offering bags. How many of you noticed that? Yeah, but none of you called it out. You were like, oh, score. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I like you guys. You're like me. Well, we're, we're gonna pass those offerings bags, but I wanted to talk about it first uh, because I actually am gonna challenge you to change the way that you give. And some of us grew up with, you put some money in your pocket, you take it to church, or you write a check, and that's fine. And, and that's why we continue to pass the bags. But the majority of our congregation now doesn't give that way. And I'd like for the rest of you to catch up if you can. The majority of our congregation has entered into the 21st century. And our, uh, our, in the 21st century, people pay their bills digitally. They pay their bills either directly out of a bank account, or they pay their bills uh, on a credit card and they earn miles and they fly places on vacation and then they pay off their credit card at the end of every month like Brenda does. All right. Now, so what we, so Cornerstone is attached to a platform called PushPay. And, uh, it's, and, and I want you to get out your, I literally want you to, if you don't know this, well, just do it anyway. Everyone get out your phone. And I want to ask you, now, I'm not tricking you into donating money, okay? So, but you said you trusted me. All right, but I just wanna show you how this works. Okay, so everybody get ready to text someone. So get, open it up like you're gonna text. And then text to this number, 77977. And th this is the letters you text. Cornerstone Fellowship Bay Area, CSFBA. And when you do that, somebody do it and, and tell me when the, it popped up then you got a response, right? Now, when everybody does it at the same time, sometimes it clogs the system for a minute and you have to try again. But once you, you do uh, 7797, no, what was it? 77977, and then you did CSFBA, you should have now received a link. You click on that link and that's gonna take you to the PushPay uh, website that's attached to Cornerstone Fellowship. And then that's when it's gonna ask you, and you've got it right there, a lot of you now. It's gonna say, do you wanna do a one-time donation? Do you wanna do a recurring donation? How much? And then the next, uh, when you click, you'll, you'll you figure that all out, and then you, it'll hit, and it'll say, well, do you wanna take it out of your bank account, or do you wanna take it out of a credit card? And then you put in that information. Now, what we are asking everyone at Cornerstone to do is sit down and think. Not every time you come to church, go, well, how much do I wanna give this time? But for you to just think, how much do I wanna give every week or two weeks or month? And then that just becomes a recurring donation. And when you do that, you're blessing your church in such a way because then 
all through the summer, all when attendance is low, attendance is high, our income remains about the same. And then we can budget that way and we can manage the church uh, in a much better fashion. So if you are willing to do that, can we put it back up? Um, can we put those instructions back up? People are kind of calling for that. No, go back to the text number. When you're willing to do that, you're saying to Cornerstone, I'm in. Even if your recurring donation is $20 a week, you're saying, hey, my kids go to the children's ministry here. I believe in this ministry. I know that you gotta pay the bills around here. But when, then when you add to that, you're saying, I love the vision of where Cornerstone is headed, and I understand that it's the Bay Area, and that vision is gonna be expensive. Next weekend, I'm gonna unpack a little bit about where we've been over the last 25 years and where we, where we believe that God is, is taking us and steps of faith that we're reaching out on even before um, we know that we have the money. Um, but I wanna include you in that because a lot of you would be willing to say, well, you know what? Um, I'm at least gonna bring my giving up to that two to three percent average in the Bay Area. But some are even, are, will be willing to say, you know what, God has really blessed us the last few years. Uh, we wanna be able to do this as well. All right, good. You survived it. 50% of this talk is over. Uh, you did great. <laughs> and uh, the worship team is coming now. The ushers are coming. I'm gonna pray uh, over this old-fashioned offering that we're getting ready to receive. Let me pray with you, and then they're going to pass um, the baskets. Lord, what a blessing to be able to talk to this generous congregation. And I remember how fearful I used to be to talk about money as if I was going to offend people. And, and, uh, but Lord, you've really brought us to a place of maturity in regards to a topic like this. So now as we give to you uh, in this physical, material way, we pray that you would receive this and then you would put it in your hands and you would multiply it like loaves and fishes like you do all the time. And those that are managing money in this, in this organization, they would be the best stewards of that money. That there would be no waste and that we would be able to, to, to help locally, to help globally, to help within the confines of, of the walls of the buildings and, and, and outside as well. Thank you for blessing us. And then for those of us that for the first time now are gonna start this, this digital way of giving, um, help us to, to follow through and to go ahead and, 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 and get that done and then to get moving forward with that as well. But we want you to know, Lord, we don't give because somebody twisted our arm. We give out of response to what you've given to us. And we love you so much. Keep pressing the vision you've given us forward in the East Bay as we, as we help everyone take their next step with Jesus. And, and in doing so, we repair the torn fabric of our beautiful and wonderful Bay Area culture. We pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody set. Amen. All right. Love you.